This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, John Roseman. The show is called Because I Said So. We are carried exclusively on American Family Radio. For those of you who have uh, who are just joining us for the first time, I am a family psychologist who happens to not believe in psychology. I have written about 18 parenting books, books on parenting and other uh, related issues. I write a nationally syndicated weekly newspaper column that appears in about 250 newspapers around the country. And uh, my most important uh, qualifications are that I have been married to the same woman. One has to say that these days to distinguish uh, uh, the, uh, the length of time from some cumulative total uh, my wife, Willie, whose real name is Wilma, um, but I nicknamed her Willie when we first met, um, and I have been married for 48 years. We have two adult children, and we have seven grandchildren raising in age, ranging in age from 8 to 21. Uh, we are not a call-in show. We are pre-recorded, and so uh, I can't take phone calls, but uh, what I do invite listeners to do is send parenting questions they may have to radio at rosemond, R-O-S-E-M-O-N-D dot com, radio at rosemond dot com. Today, what I'm going to do is just uh, take a few questions. Hopefully, we'll get to at least uh, two, maybe three in the uh, 30 minutes that we have. And... Um, answer these questions, and, and hopefully in the course of answering the questions, illustrate some important parenting principles. Question number one, the parents write, our oldest son, age seven, has a habit of taking things that do not belong to him. Some of the things he takes are insignificant. Other things are more consequential. He also has a bad habit of going downstairs to presumably use the bathroom in the middle of the night and then taking a detour to sneak around the kitchen, climb up to where treats or special snacks are kept, and eating them. When this happens and we discover that it's happened, we have gone nuclear and taken treats for a month. He did this with his own Easter candy, and we assigned him a month with no treats. Can you help us put this to an end? Well, yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think I have a, a useful idea for you. But first of all, let me explain that taking treats away from a child for a month is not going nuclear. Uh in effect, that is, even though he places great value himself on treats, he can live without them. They are not something that is or are essential to his daily, what I call, standard of living. 
his standard of living consists of privileges, uh, things like uh, his bedtime, um, his ability to play outside, his ability to have sleepovers or attend sleepovers, attend birthday parties, um, watch television, things of that sort. Eating candy is uh, not something essential to his childhood standard of living. And therefore, taking treats away from him, taking candy away, is really not going nuclear. Um, I will answer your question, and I will illustrate what going nuclear is all about. But, uh, you know, because I talk about this occasionally, I talk about the fact that the punishment should not fit the crime. If you want the crime to stop, then the punishment has to be uh, disproportionately uh, larger than the crime. It has to be 10 times, figuratively speaking, bigger than the crime. It has to leave a permanent memory such that when the inclination to engage in the bad behavior in question surfaces again, the child remembers the consequence that he incurred the last time this happened and says to himself, whoa, stop, I don't don't want that to happen again. So uh, before I do that, though, I want to say, look, this is uh, if you took this problem to a psychologist and I am a psychologist, I'm licensed. uh, So I know what I'm talking about here. A psychologist would tell you that, you know, this is uh, what in all likelihood tell you anyway, that this is uh, due to some insecurity, some deep seated insecurity and He would take your son into a room and talk to him and maybe set up another appointment and then another to talk to him and uh, so on and so on and so forth. And uh, the overwhelming likelihood, because this is what research has found, by the way, concerning therapy with children, in all likelihood, uh, this would do nothing but consume your money, spin your wheels, and provide no solution to the problem whatsoever. Uh And by the way, the psychologist, by saying that the problem was due to a deep-seated insecurity, would basically be saying that the problem was your fault, that you were doing something wrong, and that he needed to talk to the child in order to discover what it was that you were doing wrong. Um, This is uh, part of the mumbo-jumbo that constitutes the practice of psychology in America today. And that is, uh, and I guarantee you, folks, that is what would happen uh, 95 out of 100 times that you took a child to a psychologist and described this sort of a problem. And it is what infuriates me about my own profession. So let's get down to a solution to this. The, uh, The child takes things that don't belong to him and, um, He's been doing this for a long time. He's seven years old. His parents have tried numerous approaches, uh, including an approach they describe as going nuclear, which isn't going nuclear at all. They simply took treats away from him for a month, which uh, doesn't uh, phase a child, even though the child likes treats. It doesn't phase him at all. So let me... uh, Uh, relate to you a similar situation that I dealt with when I was in private practice a number of years ago. The parents of a child around the same age came to me with a very, very similar problem. And uh, 
in other words, the child was taking things that didn't belong to him, his mother's jewelry, uh, uh, things that belonged to his father, tools, et cetera, et cetera, um, treats, as is the case with this child, the typical stuff, the usual, uh, the usual uh, haul, if you will. And when confronted, the child would deny that he had it, and then a, a, a search would ensue, and the parents would find the uh, stolen item, and great to-do would be made, and the child would be uh, lectured and punished in some way. But the punishment was always over with in a week. Uh, that was the longest a punishment lasted. Now, this problem had been going on for quite some time, according to the parents, ever since the child was around three and a half. Now, folks, I want to emphasize, this is not a psychological problem. This is sin. And sin becomes habitual very, very quickly if nothing effective is done to confront it and eliminate it. So with the child in question, I told parents that they needed to stop buying this child anything that was not essential for one year or until the stealing stopped for one year. Now, that's going nuclear. I told the parents, you, you don't buy the child anything until the stealing stops for one year. Uh, the only things that they were to buy him were, uh, until the benchmark was, uh, was reached, were essential food, in other words, no treats, no special food, no trips to fast food joints, et cetera, et cetera. Essential clothing, just essential food, essential clothing. They were not allowed, they were not to let him go to birthday parties, have sleepovers, attend sleepovers, uh, after school activities were to stop completely. And, um, for until the stealing had stopped for one year. And they marked the day they began on a calendar. And let's say that the stealing stopped for three months and then there was an episode. Well, under those circumstances, the one year of no stealing would start over again the next day. They were not even to take the child on vacation with them during this year. Now, I know this sounds very, very tough, folks. But the outcome to this was the stealing stopped very, very shortly. And uh, I think the child stole one or two things uh, past that point. In each case, the parents just brought out the one-year calendar, marked it uh, as beginning the day after the stealing incident had occurred, and the year started over again. And, uh, by the way, during this time, they were to count as stealing things that were missing that he denied taking. My impeccable memory reveals that he stopped stealing within a couple of months and that by the end of the no-stealing year was completely repentant. And the last I heard, this was a number of years ago, he is a responsible adult with a family. Now, the question I ask parents is, are you willing to go that far to stop a problem? 
understanding that a problem like stealing is corrupting to a child's spiritual health, and that an approach other than the sort that I have just described is probably not going to get you anywhere as these parents who have asked the question in question have already discovered. Folks, we're up at the uh, beginning of a break, and uh, I will be back in a few. Stay with us. Welcome back to the show, folks. I'm your host, John Roseman. The show is called Because I Said So. And it's called Because I Said So because uh, this is a parenting program that reflects a very traditional and biblically-based parenting philosophy. Uh, I've got a question from a reader here. And uh, on this show, all I'm doing on this episode, Because I Said So, all I'm doing is taking questions that Listeners have emailed to me at radio at roseman.com. So if you've got a question you'd like me to talk about on the air, just uh, send the question to radio at roseman.com, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to get to it and talk about it um, in an upcoming show. So here's the question. And by the way, my, my th- there's no way I'll tell you in advance that I can answer a question like this without somebody saying, well, you should have told them, or, or John, I don't agree with that. Uh, this type of question, especially in a Christian audience, which you are, is going to be very controversial. And I am going to risk taking the question understanding that. But I will tell you that hardly anyone could answer a question of this sort without leaving uh something, I'll call it hanging. Um, The question is this, our son will be 17 in July. Do you think it is inappropriate for me to read his his text messages without his knowledge? Well, I'll answer that question uh, right off the bat. No, it's not inappropriate for you to read his text messages. You own his phone, you pay for it, you have every right to examine your property in this regard. The question is, is this examination of his text messages on your part, is it accomplishing anything? And if it is only accomplishing getting you upset, and folks, I want you to listen to the rest of the question, then with a 17-year-old child, who probably only has one year left at home before he goes off to college or into the military, I would say that uh, you have become your own worst enemy here. But anyway, more of this question. He has been, we have discovered, experimenting sexually with girls, touching and heavy kissing so far. And then there's a parenthesis, I only know this from reading his text messages. He swears that he has only kissed, however, I know this to not be true. 
I'm so scared that he will engage in even more experimenting and go too far if I don't stop him. But I don't know how. That's right. You don't know how, madam, because there is no way to stop him. Now, he is 17 years old. You need to understand the limits of your influence, the limits of your ability to sway the behavior of a 17-year-old child. Um, yes, your son is engaging in what is, in all likelihood, immoral behavior. I would say kissing is not immoral behavior at the age of 17. But from all that you have discovered and related to me, there is strong likelihood that your son is engaging or about to engage in immoral behavior, I would ask you the question, what do you think you can do with a 17-year-old child to stop this, to prevent this from happening, other than putting the child under complete lock and key in the basement? All right, I'm going to go on and read more of the question I know he must be going through some major hormonal changes. Um, I wouldn't attribute this to hormones. It's just, you know, he's naturally curious. And uh, this is, uh, you know, a, a, an inclination that arises uh, at this age and that teenagers uh, either uh, they deal with in one way, shape, or form. But I don't understand why he isn't living the way that he has been taught. Well, he isn't the living the way that he has been taught because of something called free will, which is one of the most powerful forces in the universe. And um, your son's free will is trumping your ability to influence the decisions that he is making or is going to make. I have reached out to his church youth director. Well, that's a good idea. Whom he looks up to and spends a lot of time. That's a great idea. Get the youth uh, director to talk to him. I think they do their best. In other words, the church people are doing their best. But ultimately, it's going to be up to him to control himself. Well, yes. I mean, your last sentence basically wraps it up. It's going to be up to him to control himself. Uh, here's my answer. It's not your responsibility to keep your son from sinning. Now, this is something that all Christian parents need to understand. It's not their responsibility always to keep their children from sinning. Folks, sin is a very powerful force and sometimes your parenting can overcome it, and sometimes your parenting cannot overcome it. And you need to be discerning. You need to be able to discern when you are going to be able to exert an influence over your children's decisions and when you are really not going to be able to do this. And I would venture to say that with a 17-year-old child, you're not going to be able to do this. You have already laid this child's moral foundations to the best of your ability. 
You have told me this child attends church. He's involved in a church youth group. You have told me that this child is succumbing to immoral impulses, which are certainly not unusual for a child this age to have. I would venture to say that you have probably said all that you can say. You have done all that you can do. It is best at this point for you to accept you are not your child's personal savior. This is something I tell parents all the time. Can you accept that you are not your child's personal savior? That you can prevent some of your children's sin, but you cannot prevent it all. I'll say that again. You, as a parent, you can prevent some of your children's sin. You cannot prevent it all. You can prevent more of it when they are younger than when they are older. With a 17-year-old child, your ability to prevent, in whatever way, shape, or form, his sin is relatively minimal. And that's something you need to accept, or your mental health is going to be at risk here. You are trying to take responsibility for something that you cannot control. The only person who can control these impulses that your son is experiencing is your son. Look, this is painful, I know, but you need to let go of this burden. Answer these questions. Have you said everything that can be said? Is there anything that you haven't said that can be said? The answer is no. Is there anything with a 17-year-old child that you can do that you have not already done concerning this issue? The overwhelmingly uh, likely answer is no. There's nothing else you can say. There's nothing else you can do. You have done your job, therefore, You need to let go of this burden. You need to sit him down and say to him, look, I have to tell you, I'm disappointed. I understand that you're dealing with some very strong impulses here, but I need to tell you that from your text messages, which I have every right to monitor as long as you live in my house, I own that phone, I pay for that phone, uh, I... I understand the impulses that you're dealing with, but I need to tell you, you're not dealing with them well. But here's what I have decided. If you don't know the difference between right and wrong by now, having lived in our house where we have tried our best to educate you concerning right and wrong and to live a family life that exemplifies that illustration— And having sent you to a church in which you are taught the difference between right and wrong, then I realize there's nothing I can do at this point in your life to get you to that knowledge. Again, if you don't know the difference between right and wrong by now, there's nothing I can do at this age in your life to get you to know it. Ma'am, 
if you don't let this go, it's not going to go well. Believe me. This could lead to a lot of sub subterfuge, deceit, and uh, eventually uh, alienation from your son. Worst possible scenario, but it is possible. I would caution you against uh, uh, going any further in your attempts to, uh, to get this to stop. Hand responsibility to your son in a loving way. And uh, uh, needless to say, a prayer is a good thing in a situation of this sort. Folks, I've enjoyed uh, doing another episode, if you will, of Because I Said So With You. Thanks for joining us. We're on American Family Radio every Saturday at 5 o'clock Central Time. See you next time.